Hey there, this is Nathan. Welcome to the Camden Haven Anglican Church Podcast. I'm glad you're making the time to listen to this week's teaching. I'll have more to say at the end, but for now, let's dive right in. What, what I pray happens as we move through this passage this morning is that you will either have your picture of Jesus enhanced or refreshed that you would realize again what it is he wants from you and what it is he is doing in you. Those three things. Who is Jesus? What does he want? What's he doing in you? Um, Over the past few weeks, I have been harping on about the question, who is Jesus? I've been saying that that is the most important question that you will ever face, anyone will ever face in their entire existence, the question, who is Jesus? And the reason I'm harping on about it is because Matthew has been harping on about it over and over. And I'm convinced that it is this question, the answer to this, answering this question will be a benefit in your life and in my life. So put it this way, if he is no one, if he is nothing special, then there is absolutely no consequence in how you respond to him. Take him, leave him doesn't matter if however he is anything even close to what the bible is saying that he is then to take him or leave him creates a tremendous consequence to take him is to receive meaning and eternity and identity and all those sorts of things like never before To reject him or even play him down is to lose all those things, eternity, identity, security and meaning. So over these past few chapters of Matthew's Gospel, things have been getting darker and darker as Jesus has been speaking to those around him about his necessary impending death. That at the hands of no less than the teachers of the law, the religious people in the world at the time, they are going to murder him. And that must happen. So the shadow of the cross falls down on all the words and actions that are happening from now on. So what actually is going on is the clearer our um, understanding of Jesus is getting in Matthew's gospel, so the darker things are getting in Matthew's gospel. But it is into this impending darkness that the story of Jesus' transfiguration literally bursts onto the scene. Uh, The transfiguration, if you just slow down for a minute, It is the most momentous, mysterious, perplexing, weird event that happens in the life between the birth and death of Jesus. 
the word transfigured in the Greek is the word we know, metamorphosis. Jesus goes through a metamorphosis. Isn't that weird? I don't know if any of your friends go through a metamorphosis, but these three see this happen. Uh, metamorphosis is, in the Greek idea, is the changing of the form that is in keeping with the inner reality. The changing of the form that is in keeping with the inner reality. It's, the, it's what's on the inside coming out to the outside. Um, it's what a caterpillar does, isn't it? Caterpillar, pupa, butterfly. Metamorphosis. So what's going on here? Verse 1, after six days, Jesus took Peter, James and John, the brother of James, and led them up a high mountain by themselves. Now, right from the beginning of the story, Matthew is giving us a bunch of clues to have in the back of our mind so that we sort of understand another story to help us understand this story. And all of those things, six days, men being led up a high mountain, later on a face shining a cloud and a voice coming from heaven all point us towards a story in the Old Testament that you find in Exodus chapter 24 through to Exodus chapter 34. When Moses leads up Aaron, Nadab and his brother, Abihu, up a high mountain and on that high mountain they're there for six days as the cloud comes down and from that cloud, well, Moses goes into that cloud for about 40 days or so and then comes back. His face is shining with the glory of God, some sort of, so however that happens. He's been in the presence of God. His countenance has changed. This is Moses. A bit like last Sunday night. Travis's face was bright red. Bright red. Like, seriously, I'm not exaggerating. I, did, I looked at, are you okay? I was worried he was going to you know, blow a valve or something. Needed heart medication. He was looking for it. The reason his face was red is because Mr. 40-something had been with a couple of Mr. 20-somethings playing ultimate frisbee they looked okay your face can change according to whose presence you are in for Moses his face changed because of the glory of God it was reflecting to the Israelites but here what happens in this passage verse 2 is there he, Jesus, was transfigured before them, metamorphosized before them. I know that's not, I don't think that's a word, but his face shone like the sun and his clothes became as white as light. So, so we're thinking, ah, oh, this is like Moses, but more than Moses. Moses' glow was a borrowed, reflected glory. Jesus, however, is different. 
it seems to be the source of glory. And it's not only his face that is shining, his whole being is bright and shining. You could say that Moses was like the moon, reflecting. Jesus is like the sun, the source of that light. So there's one hymn that goes like this. Tis good, Lord, to be here. Your glory fills the night. Your face and garments, like the sun, shine with unborrowed light. Uh, these three disciples, friends, are getting a glimpse not only of what Jesus would become in his exalted glory, Philippians 2, but they're getting a glimpse of what he was before he took on flesh in his pre-incarnate glory, when he shared glory with the Father from all eternity, John 17. And so it is John who's there on the mountain who in Revelation will describe Jesus in these terms. His face was like the sun shining in all its brilliance. And Hebrews will say, Hebrews chapter 1 verse 3, the sun, S-O-N, is the radiance of God's glory, the exact representation of his being. Paul on the road to Damascus, what happens to him? He's knocked off his horse by a light. You don't get really knocked over by lights, do you? Light does have mass, by the way, but you don't normally get knocked over by it. Later in 1 Timothy, Paul will say, God, the blessed and only ruler, the king of kings and lord of lords, who alone is immortal and who lives in unapproachable light. Talk about shine, Jesus, shine. But if that wasn't enough, verse 3, verse 3 in your translations might begin with just then. Uh, again, in the Greek, it's a bit stronger. Behold, listen to this. Hey, look what's happening. Behold, there appeared before them Moses and Elijah talking with Jesus. Moses and Elijah, who'd lived hundreds of years before, have turned up again on this mountain talking to Jesus. I do wonder how Peter, James and John knew that it was Moses and Elijah, though. I, I Get out Facebook, look at Jesus' friends. Oh, it is, it's him, it's him, and who's that other? Oh, it's Elijah. I, mean, I don't know how they did that, but they did that. Somehow they knew. But why Moses and Elijah? Well, Moses represents the law. Elijah represents the prophets. Moses and Elijah represent the whole Old Testament witness, the law and the prophets, all the promises of God. And it says there in the passage that they were talking with Jesus. Now we're wondering, what were they talking about? That would be interesting to listen in on that conversation. Now, if you want to know what they were talking about, you're going to have to look at Mark and Luke, their version of what happens. But Matthew doesn't give it to us, so I'm not giving it to you. You're going to have to read that later. Matthew doesn't say 
what they were talking about, but it does, but he does say that Peter pipes up in the middle of their conversation. Now, if there's anyone you're going to interrupt in a conversation, I'm not sure it should be Jesus and Elijah and Moses. You just wait. But Peter pipes up. He says this, verse 4. Uh, Lord, it is good for us to be here. If you wish, I will build, I will put up three shelters. One for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. I'll put up little three little tents for you. Now, why Peter thought that putting up three little tents was a good idea, I don't know, but it seems like he thought it was a good idea at the time. But we sort of give him a bit of a break because in that story from Exodus chapter 24 onwards, after Moses is on that mountain, they do actually build a tent, the tabernacle. And so I can see how maybe that was what came to Peter's mind. If you want to know what actually was happening, you can look at Matthew or Luke's version of the story. But that Matthew doesn't tell us, so I'm not telling you either. You're going to have to look at that yourself later. And don't look it up now. That's all right, you can look it up now if you want. But the point here, I think, that even before Peter finishes saying what he's saying, God butts in on him. Verse 5, while he was still speaking, behold, the word behold is there, a bright cloud covered them, and behold, a voice from the cloud said, this is my son, whom I love, with him I am well pleased, listen to him. This voice from a bright cloud, it's, it's the Old Testament stuff. God seems to hang out in a cloud in the Old Testament. You'd have to like it in there. And he keeps speaking out of a cloud. It's the gl gl uh, glory cloud. It's the Shekinah glory. And he speaks and people tremble. Now, the voice of God rarely comes out in the New Testament like this. I think there's probably four times. So when it does, I think it's a good idea to take note, don't you? God speaking, after all. And what is he doing? It is heaven declaring who Jesus is. Heaven saying, this is, what my, this is who my son is. This is who Jesus is. And if heaven's answering that question, it's a question that heaven wants you to ask. Who is Jesus? Here's the answer. Two things that this voice from heaven says that the teachers of the law hardly ever put together. There's two verses that are referenced here. This is my son, Psalm 2. With him I am well pleased. Isaiah 42. Now, the, the rabbis, as far as I've found, never put those two passages together when understanding the Christ. You just couldn't. Psalm 2, yes, that's about a king. But Isaiah 42, no, that's about a sufferer. You can't put those together. How could he be king yet servant? How, how could he be conqueror, yet sufferer? Hear, therefore, what God is saying about Jesus. If you want to understand the answer to who is Jesus, 
You must, because God has said this, put two things together, king and sufferer. Get those pictures, you're beginning to understand who the real Jesus is. Understand his sonship and his suffering. I wonder if you agree with heaven about who Jesus is. But here in Matthew's gospel, as I said, you know, there was a time before when God spoke from a cloud, and that was at his baptism, Jesus' baptism, where he said, this is my son whom I love, with him I am well pleased. But here he adds a bit. In the Greek, it's just one word, but for us, it's three words. Listen to him. Heaven saying, listen to him. Uh, now, just imagine being Peter, James and John at the moment. They have all their lives been told to listen to the law and the prophets. To listen to the Old Testament witness. To listen to God's revelation in the history of Israel. But now, they're being told, listen to him. Particularly, listen to him, see that he is the fulfillment of the law and the prophets, and particularly understand his death, his suffering. Listen to him. You know, it, it might have been when Peter wanted to put up those three tents that he was sort of putting Elijah and Moses and Jesus all on the same level. And it's that God butts in at that point and says, No way. This is my son. Listen to him. Don't listen to all three equally. Listen to the final and full revelation of God in Jesus Christ. Listen to him. Now remember that Jesus said in Matthew chapter 5 that he'd not come to abolish the law and the prophets, but to fulfill them. Jesus is the full and final word. That's why Hebrews can say these words. In the past, Hebrews 1 and, 1, 1 and 2, in the past God spoke to our ancestors through the prophets at many times and in various ways, but in these last days he has spoken to us by his Son. How does God speak? Well, this says he used to speak in all sorts of ways, dreams and visions and all sorts of ways, but how does he speak today? His son. Listen to him. Well, if I was there and a voice boomed from heaven from a big cloud, I would probably do the same that Peter, James and John do. They fall on their face terrified. Verse 6. When the disciples heard this, they fell face down to the ground terrified. Ah, oh, we're going to die! But listen to verse 7. It's so gentle. But Jesus came and touched them. Get up, he said. Don't be afraid. Notice he doesn't say, oh, get up. Or get up. <laughs> it, it, it's he touches them. Get up. Don't be afraid. And they're going, we're still alive. Verse 8 says, when they looked up, they saw no one. Except Jesus. Now, 
please slow down. Don't read over that too quick. See how significant those words are. They saw no one except Jesus. Who's gone? Elijah's gone. Moses is gone. Moses and Elijah have faded. Any other revelation has faded because it has been fulfilled. Again, Jesus alone is the full and final word. The law and the prophets are fulfilled. And if you're, an old te- if you're, if you're aware of the Old Testament, you are thinking in your head, if the law and the prophets are fulfilled, if all the promises of God are being fulfilled, that must mean it's the end of the age. It's the end of the age there and then. That is momentous news. And that is something you want to make sure everyone knows. But what does Jesus say? Verse 9, as they were coming down the mountain, Jesus instructed them, don't tell anyone. Oh, you can imagine them going, again? You just told us not to tell anyone that you're the Christ, the son of the living God in the last chapter. And now you're telling us not to tell anyone that it's the end of the age? That seems to be important information, Jesus. Well, he will say, well, don't tell anyone yet. You will say something after the resurrection. Now, again, they weren't really understanding what the resurrection was all about until it happened. But they will speak later about this event. And this is partly, I suppose, why this whole event happens for them, for them to speak about it afterwards. That's why they ask the question in verse 10, why do the teachers say that Elijah must come first? That is, before the curtain falls on that old age. Because that was the expectation, that, that Elijah would come. And they're saying, well, Elijah hasn't come. How can it can be the end of the age? And Jesus says in verse 11, uh, to be sure, Elijah has come, pointing to John the Baptist. But notice what it is focused on about John the Baptist's experience is that Elijah has already come, he says, and they did not recognize him, but have done to him everything they wished. And so he will say, and in the same way, they will do that to the Son of Man. If it was the destiny of Elijah to suffer, John the Baptist, so too it will be the destiny of the Son of Man to suffer. Now, can you just see that there is this emphasis on the suffering of the Christ, of the suffering of God's sent person, for understanding who that person is? His suffering is absolutely central. Well, I wonder if my prayer has been answered this morning. Has your view of Jesus been enhanced or refreshed? The metamorphosis is really saying Jesus is God. Jesus is the final and fulfilled word of God because he is God. So John, who was on that mountain, he will call Jesus in the beginning of his gospel, what? The Logos. Now the depth of this word Logos is absolutely amazing, but quickly for the Jewish person to say that Jesus is the Logos is to say that he is the word that fulfills all the law and the prophets. He's the word of God. 
In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. But logos is also a word that spoke into the Gentile world, into the Greek world. The logos for philosophers back then was the idea of that which stands behind everything, gives substance and meaning to everything. It is the place, the Logos is the place where you find your true identity, your meaning, your eternity, your everything. And John is saying, I saw it on the mountain and it's Jesus, the Logos. The transfiguration means Jesus is God. It's literally written all over his face. So has your view of Jesus been enhanced or refreshed? And have you been reminded exactly how you are to respond to him? So the metamorphosis of Jesus means we are two, two words. Pay attention to him. So as the Gareth did that reading from 2 Peter... And you can check that out later, but part of it says this. We ourselves heard this voice that came from heaven when we were with him on the sacred mountain. We also have the prophetic message as something completely reliable and you will do well to pay attention to it as to a light shining in a dark place until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your heart. It's good that this is the point at this part of the sermon because this is the part, it's about this time when everyone goes, I'm drifting away, switching off, switch back on. We're nearly there. Peter says, pay attention. And I think everybody here would agree that we ought to listen because you probably wouldn't be here if you didn't think that we should listen. But the problem is we turn up, but we drift off. And, and we need to, as Peter's saying, always intentionally work out ways that we can be better at paying attention. Even paying attention as to what Peter says, what you've already heard and what you already know. To hear it again, to pay attention again. Pay attention to Jesus as much as you pay attention to your financial advisor. That gives you a bit of a vibe of what to do. Sort of tax time coming up. I thought it was a relevant thing. But that, that's why we, as a church, will give so much time to uh, the Bible reading, uh, to the preaching. It's why we promote so strongly growth groups, that you be part of one and that you grow, that we give out Bible reading notes, that we have Bibles around, that we tell you what page. Well, we try to tell you what page it's on. All that sort of stuff. We, our Wednesday night, we have this drill down thing. So this is just another way of trying to get the word out of what we're talking about. Because we need to pay attention. Are you paying attention? And are you clear about what God is doing in your life? Um, actually, did you know that there's someone else who transfigures in the New Testament? Did you know that? There's someone else who metamorphoses 
like Jesus. Do you remember who it is? It's you. It's you. Philippians says, Our citizenship is in heaven and we eagerly await a saviour from there, the Lord Jesus Christ, who by the power that enables him to bring everything under his control will transform, metamorphosis, our lowly bodies so that they will be like his glorious body. That's where we're headed. But not only that, what's happening right now, Romans 12, do not conform to the pattern of this world any longer, but be transformed, be metamorphosed by the renewing of your mind, little by little, day by day. 2 Corinthians 3.18, And we all who with unveiled faces contemplate the Lord's glory that is in the face of Jesus, are being metamorphosed into his image from one degree of glory into another. You are becoming what is currently under wraps. Every time you choose love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control, as opposed to the alternate of all of those, you are beginning to become who you are in Christ. Every time you are concerned that somebody else knows about Christ, you are beginning to become who you are in Christ. Every time you praise him with song or whatever it might be, what is on the inside is beginning to break out. That is what is going on for every single believer, growing and changing. That is why you will do well to pay attention to Jesus. Eyes on him. Ears on him. Understand who he truly is. Understand who you truly are. It's the only way. And it's a wonderful way. And God's given it freely to everyone to listen to him. Let me pray. Uh, loving and heavenly Father, we pray refresh our vision of Jesus today. Enhance it if it needs to be. Help us to see him as he truly is. And Father, we pray that you would help us to remember how to respond to him, to pay attention. So help us to do that as best we can. And Father, help us to remember what you're doing in us. Help us to day by day, from one degree of glory to another, be transformed. We are in Christ and that inner reality, may it burst out, not only individually, but in all of us together as a church. And we ask this for Christ's sake. Amen. Hi again, this is Nathan. Thanks for listening to this podcast. I hope that we shared something that's helpful to you wherever you're at in your spiritual journey. 
Just so you know a little more about us, we are Camden Haven Anglican Church. We're a church that tries not to be too churchy and more relational. We meet every Sunday. We have four services at two locations. If you want to connect with us, you can find more about us on our website, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, or just send an email to info at havenanglican.com. If this teaching has blessed you, we'd love to hear from you wherever you are in the world. And we pray that we've helped you to grow a little more into Jesus today. See you next time.